Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. This podcast is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm the editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org and analytics director at Internews Ukraine. I'm joined by my colleague Irina Matvishin, journalist and reporter at ukraineworld.org. Hello, Irina. Hello, Volodymyr. Thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine world. We are a small team based in Kiev. In this episode, we decided to talk with Irina about society, Ukrainian society, how it how it's developing in the current circumstances when everybody is leaving with with very little understanding what will come next, what will be in, in, in next week, next month. Ukraine is living under a threat of Russian aggression. But we wanted to remind that uh, this situation of living near the war is actually going on for almost eight years, right? So let me ask you, Irina, first. Uh, so Ukraine is living in this, you know, situation when the war is very close. How it changed Ukrainian society since 2014? First of all, thanks for having me here, Volodymyr. Uh, well, to answer your question, it's uh, kind of complicated because um, the war has obviously impacted uh, Ukrainian society a lot and it has a lot of negative consequences uh, from economic ones to psychological ones because it added a lot to uh, to Ukrainian traumas that were already here. And uh, we can see that Ukrainians have this some kind of a little defensive psychological reaction about war uh, that they don't want to talk about it or or they pretend they don't uh, really see it or the threat is not really here. Of course, I'm not talking about all of them, but uh, this is like a, a really common um, mindset, I would say. Uh, but obviously there were uh, there are a lot of good um, a lot of good um, results I would say no, not maybe results but um, effects of war uh, that uh, that changed Ukrainian society. Basically, it started from uh, the Euromaidan revolution uh, because it made Ukrainians more resilient to Russian threats. Uh, it made them more um, conscious about their identity. Uh, it added a lot to the Ukrainian uh, patriotic uh, sentiments. And as we can see, everything uh, Russia is doing, it basically has a re reverse effect and it unites Ukrainians a lot. So we can say that the war and the consequences of war unified the country. Uh, they, it erased some of the divisions uh, we saw before, before the war started. Um, and uh, I think it changed Ukrainian society on very different levels. Uh, I think the war mobilized Ukrainians a lot. Uh, it helped them um, unite on different levels. Uh, we can see that uh, that everything uh, Russian propaganda says is wrong about Ukrainians. There are no divisions um, between Ukrainian and Russian speakers. Uh, there are no um, hostility between regions as uh, Russia would like to see it. And uh, So Russia tried to destroy Ukraine, but in fact only consolidated in a way, strengthened Ukraine. That's what, what you tried to say? 
Yes, I, I think it consolidated the Ukrainian society a lot and made it more proactive, more pro-Ukrainian, actually pro-European and pro-NATO as we see the statistics. Yeah, indeed. That's what we were talking now. Previous episodes that, for example, NATO support grew from 14% in 2012 to 54 I think, percent now. Uh, but of course, Ukraine is not a homogeneous society. There are many groups still in many regions who are, well, not feeling well in this new consolidated form. So we are not naive of thinking that all Ukrainians became, you know, Russian skeptics or Ukrainian patriots. But still, there are so many of these active people. And you studied, uh, you made lots of reports for Ukraine world uh, of these active people. Let me uh, say to our listeners that uh, we have series of this video storytelling by, done by Irina. Uh, one of it is called Stories from Ukraine. The other is called uh, uh, Values Through Stories, right? right. Uh, so you find those people. Can you tell, you know, what what are the most interesting examples? For example, veterans who are trying to f- to start their life from, 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 from scratch or internally displaced persons who really, after having lost everything, uh, found the found the strength in themselves to launch businesses or something else. What inspires you in those stories? I think to me the most impressive stories are those from Donbass region, especially uh, of people who are living close to the front line. Um, because there are so many people who are trying to do something locally, who are doing their own thing, little things that are actually changing the society, uh, who are contributing a lot to democratization of um, of this region, severely impacted by war. And these people do very different things, um, from making some crafts to uh, to, bu- to trying to build some um, small communities, proactive communities uh, close to the contact line. And like the, one of the last stories uh, I've made, um, it was in Ukrainian, um, but still, I think you can uh, search it on uh, Google. It's from U- Ukrainian New York, uh, which was recently remained, uh, renamed from uh, Novhorodsky to, New- to hi- its historical name, New York. And there's this uh, community of very active young people, uh, which is called the Initiative um, Youth of New York. Um, basically, they live like six kilometers meters from the occupied territory uh, of Horlivka. Uh, But they are so inspired and so motivated to change their community and to preserve um, freedom for for their uh, village. Uh, They are trying to mobilize um, local residents um, to show them by their own example how how they can contribute to the um, uh, development of their uh, their local of their uh, village, and uh, they are trying to organize different uh, festive celebrations. Um, they are trying to revive Ukrainian traditions. To me, it was impressive that during the Christmas they were doing this public uh, koleda, public cr- Christmas carol singing, which is uh, very unusual for Eastern Ukraine and even for Western Ukraine now. But still, they are showing that Russian war, Russian threat doesn't scare them, and they are ready to resist. Uh, even by by their peaceful methods, and seeing these people um, tells me that uh, we like Russia has no chance because it's not it's something like very 
um, it's not weapons, but it's something very powerful uh, that people have this mindset and they they are not fe- uh, they are they are not fearful. They are basically fearless uh, against Russian invasion. I remember other stories you've made about painters, about artists in these uh, small towns in the eastern Ukraine who. Uh, consider that, look, despite the war, despite the destruction, we need to think about beauty and we we need to make our towns beautiful and uh, and nice. Can you tell some stories? Yeah, this story was also very interesting because uh, the young woman who's doing the, this street art, she herself has a, an interesting story. She she basically at the beginning she hasn't paid much attention uh, to the war, um, and she went. She wanted to go to Donetsk or to Luhansk. I don't remember exactly, but she went to Russia to cross the border and she was sent back and uh, then she realized <laughs> there's war and it's like a real threat that she, she should be aware of. So now she lives in Bakhmut and is trying to make the city more cheerful, more car- colorful, but she's also involved in some uh, civic projects um, together with uh, USAID, for example. She's trying to help um, uh, help to tell people about democratic processes, elections, um, and stuff like this by uh, painting these street uh, street wall street art walls. Um, and this example also shows us that despite the Russian um, Russian army at the um, at the front line, um, these people are ready to stay and ready to do something to make their region, their city, their village better and to make it um, more resistant to the threat. It's interesting, it's important uh, that Russia is trying to dehumanize Ukrainians and the results it brought to Donbass are basically results which which led to dehumanization, to, to a situation when people should think only about survival, only about how to protect their homes, how to get some money to get food, etc., but still, you you tell the stories when people go above that, far above that, and and do cultural projects and do music festivals in these towns that are you know five, ten, twenty kilometers from the front line. Uh, I remember stories that you made about veterans, about female veterans, for example, who one of the story that. A girl just uh, uh, began deep work in helping the other veterans. Can you tell it? Yes. Uh, well, I made stories both with uh, men veterans and with women veterans. With we- with women veterans, um, it's even more inspiring because we see how... Uh, how strong they are in the face of uh, all these severe uh, impacts of war. Uh, they are psychologically very, uh, very strong, and um, they, when they come back from war, I think they they are even more. Um, Maybe they're acting more normal than men, but I think they are more resilient to psychological impacts. And uh, when they come back, they are taking the proactive stance in uh, in the peaceful life. Uh, one of the stories I made was uh, about uh, a member of the Ukrainian women's veterans movement. Um, then the woman was called uh, is called Yulia. She came back from war a few years ago, and um, she 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 went to fight for ukraine after uh, she she couldn't 
she saw that she couldn't um, help much with um, with the flow of requests from Eastern Ukraine she got uh, when she was in uh, in the civic position, um, and she went there after her husband. She lost her husband uh, during the war. Uh, she basically worked as a clerk, but also helped the artillery and served in all kinds of positions. Uh, and so when she came back, she decided that she should continue uh, fighting uh, with all the knowledge she has and uh, help other women veterans adapt, uh, find jobs, uh, help help Ukrainians pay more attention to uh, the problem of veterans, but also to uh, make them aware of how many women are fighting in the East. Because actually we have more than 31,000 women uh, fighters, uh, who some, some of whom died during the war. And the memory of those women is not very, it seems to be not very... Um, important in the public um, coverage. Uh, so they are trying to pay attention to this uh, issue, which is very important because we have to recognize we have we have lost Ukrainian women soldiers as well in this war. Indeed, this war showed us that war is not only the man affair, uh, the man's affair, right? Uh, in the Soviet Union, we had this tradition that, you know, the the uh, soldiers, uh, how to say, soldiers' holiday or army holiday was a holiday of men or boys. In, in this war, we see so many women really on the front line and, and playing a very important role. And as you said, many of them just lost uh, very close people, husbands, you know, uh, parents, etc. And, and this is also something very important that so many people have lost uh, or, or had people that were wounded who lost their health or their lives on the front line. Yes, another story uh, I also reminded, and which I did for Ukraine World, is about Olena, um, who is working. Was I don't know if she's working there now, but she was working in the uh, hospital near Kiev. Uh, it was a hospital for veterans uh, of Ukraine, Russian Ukrainian war, uh, and it was very inspiring because uh, she suffered from severe uh, PT. PTSD, and she went uh, to the to um, what is PTSD? Uh, Post traumatic uh, syndrome, uh, and she she was trying to recover, but nothing helped her. So she was in a really bad condition, and finally she uh, she was uh, placed in this hospital. And when she recovered, she was offered a job there because she was very active in trying to help other fellow veterans to adapt. And when I came to this hospital, I saw that most of, uh, of the residents, patients there are men. Uh, but this woman veteran, she was so, um, so casual with them, so um, organic uh, in this hospital because she knew uh, what she could do to help them. And they were all very respective and very... Um, um, very happy to have her there because she had some other perspective on how you can adapt to civil life. Uh, she was basically reviving all this uh, uh, this old hospital. She was trying to uh, uh, grow greenery there, to repair old stuff, and she was involving veterans in, in these processes. And uh, you could see how she's contributing to the recovery of other, uh, other people. So... A humane image of the war, like humane face of the war. It, it seems that many people coming f uh, through the war, coming through these losses, are actually becoming much more, what how to say, uh, rediscovering some very deep 
humane things in themselves or in, in others, like altruism, like uh, willingness to help others, like sympathy, like empathy, uh, and, and so yes, on. Yes, I so think on. war reveals the worst sides of human being and as well as the good sides. Yeah, the worst and, and the best, indeed. You also tell the stories about uh, internally displaced persons, which uh, since 2014 are 1.5 million at least officially registered. And many of them really has lost everything. So imagine a person uh, in her 40s, 50s that need to find, need to start the life from the scratch. And basically, if this person is in her 50s, 60s, that means that it's not the first time when this person started the life from scratch because the collapse of the Soviet Union was also for many people just the need, necessity to restart their lives. Can you tell a few stories about those people? Yes, uh, I've talked to a lot of IDPs. Also, I've uh, shared a flat with an IDP, so I know a lot on this topic. IDP means internally displaced yes, person. So people who uh, went from occupied Donbass or Crimea. displaced, yes. yeah. Um, there are very different stories. Like, uh, as I've said, I, li I shared a flat with an IDP and uh, she's a young woman who had to move from Luhansk and she adapted in Kiev. Uh, she uh, has her life like normal, but, um, but she, it, an interesting fact is that she's always ready to move. Uh, she's changing flats constantly. She's thinking of where to go next, maybe to move to Lviv because of the Russian threat now. Uh, and she's has this, like, I, I think she has this m movement mindset, but it's not from the good side. It's more like a, a, a consequences of being forcefully displaced, that you can never be sure that you're finally settled, you know. And I can have, I can, I get this feeling from other IDPs as well. In the face of uh, the current escalation, uh, a lot of them say that they are scared to move again. And um, we've had war for eight years, but the consequences for IDPs uh, remain the same. It's not like all of them adapted and they have no issues anymore. Uh, some of them don't because they maybe they had more money, maybe they found a good job and they could settle and, and live normal life. But a lot of them are still suffering from ho housing um, problems uh, and uh, some compensations, like compensations are very uh, insufficient uh, and economic issues as well. Uh, and for example, in Kiev, there is this dormitory for IDPs on Kostanaevskaya 6, um, which uh, where um, some proactive IDPs who were demanding official payment for their housing uh, were expelled. And basically, um, some families uh, turned out to live, uh, uh, turned out on the street. So they had to find a new home and they had no, uh, not enough money. And it's the same case uh, in eastern Ukraine. There's the same dormitory and the same issue. So we can say that we, we are still dealing with consequences of the war in the east, but we are faced with a new, uh, with a new uh, potential problem that can uh, erase uh, if the escalation starts. We have we can have even more problems uh, for IDPs can face even more problems if Russia decides to uh, invade again. Indeed, if if uh, you know the start of the war in fourteen fifteen <coughs> created over the million or maybe even two million people of internally displaced persons, we can imagine how many people will will, will be 
fleeing the war, for example, if the war is much larger. So when we discuss all these options of full full scale invasion, it's just you know sometimes it's scary to think what kind of uh, what number of refugees it will produce. But I also remember very optimistic stories about uh, displaced persons from your stories. Uh, I remember the story of about two women who uh, lost uh, their homes and I think also their husbands and uh, restarted their life just ma- making cheese, making open a- open a- opening up a farm in the western Ukraine, right? Yes. And, uh, and making cheese and selling it, so handmade cheese. Of course, it's very difficult for them, but uh, it shows how people really find some strength inside them. Uh, it's a very interesting story because it's not only a story about IDPs, but also about how uh, Russia united people from the West and the East because many IDPs, they went to live in the West. And uh, we should note that before the war, uh, people haven't interacted that much, like people from Western Ukraine and Eastern Ukraine haven't interacted that much. That's why we had a lot of uh, bias maybe against each other. But this story uh, is about one IDP woman who was displaced from Donetsk uh, Oblast. She went to live in Western Ukraine, uh, but finally she had a lot of problems uh, with uh, housing as well because she didn't have enough money and she lived from one house to another. Then she rented a room and uh, she met a young woman uh, with a with a child uh, who basically helped her, who lost her own home to fire uh, and who has had no husband. Uh, but she decided to help this internally displaced woman from the East. Um, and together they decided to launch a farm, uh, which was like a very brave decision. This um, uh, old woman from Eastern Ukraine, she decided to apply for a grant um, uh, to uh, to get some money to launch this uh, to launch her business idea and she succeeded uh, and that's a very inspiring story um, which is telling us that people are struggling but it motivates them to um, to rein- reinvent something to uh, to get creative and um, restart their life uh, in a different way what about Crimeans Crimean Tatars Russians from Crimea, also interesting that some ethnic Russians also fled Crimea after occupation. Ukrainians in Crimea, you made several stories about them. Yeah, uh, I made a story about uh, a woman who uh, who went to live in Lviv. Uh, she's an ethnic Russian from Crimea, and um, for her, it's a very painful story. R- Russian occupation of Crimea is uh, very personal and painful for her. Um, she also had a lot of personal issues, but uh, she opened a cafe, a bakery in Lviv, which is very successful, I should say, and. Um, and she became like a local uh, ba- baker, not baker, but she became a local businessman, which who is very respected by people in Lviv, in Western Ukraine, which is portrayed in Russian propaganda as a fascist uh, uh, city, you know. Yeah, it's it's so funny still to read those those stories, but we see ethnic ethnic Russian, for example, from Crimea opening up a cafe, or uh, lots of Crimean Tatars also who found uh, refuge in in Lviv or in other cities. Now, um, what inspires you in this all all those people? What what maybe are, is the key emotion that you feel that you, that when you communicate with all those people? 
Well, each uh, each story inspires me a lot in different ways, and but in the context of uh, the current situation, they show us uh, indeed that uh, Russia Russian threat. Russia can um, do saber rattling and uh, scare us with weapons and military trainings and military buildup, but uh, we have much more in the society to resist. Uh, if their motivation is geopolitical and it's not even the motivation of their people, it's just like a political ambition. Uh, the motivation of Ukrainians is to preserve their country, preserve their identity and culture, and uh, to unite. Uh, and and they are united in this um, in this um, uh, idea. So um, I see these stories as very. Inspiring examples of how we should build build a country in different ways, uh, because every each each of these uh, people uh, they are doing their huge contribution to the development of Ukrainian nation. You already started talking about the current situation, so let's let's talk about uh, a little bit. What moods do you do you see? In, this, in the Ukrainian society right now, on the personal level, maybe on some sociological level? I would say mostly people don't succumb to panic. Uh, and uh, my personal examples from uh, my friends' circles um, show that um, they started to panic. Some of them started to be more worried uh, when they saw uh, foreign reporters in Kiev, the flow of correspondence from different countries, and also when they checked Western media. Um, but most of them keep calm and they are trying to be prepared for anything. Um, I think it's a ma- the, the major mood for, for Ukrainian society that we are kind of used to uh, the threat of war because we've been living with it for eight years. But at the same time, we realize uh, things can get worse at any moment and We've seen uh, what Russia is capable of, so we have to be prepared. Uh, interesting uh, thing, um, I saw my friend veteran who who's also sometimes helping foreign journalists. Um, he was quite um, calm and chill. He's like a typical uh, veteran hipster in Kiev. Uh, but when he saw foreign uh, correspondents coming to Ukraine, uh, he started to panic a little. So he decided to stock water. And uh, he stocked water. He didn't plan to go anywhere. He stays in Kiev. Um, but he wrote a post um, that we should be um, always ready and we should get used to to the fact that we'll, we're going to live like Israel uh, with a constant threat of, uh, of war. So the, I think it's a main mood in Ukraine. Of course, there are different uh, people. Some people are more chill. Some people are trying to uh, have like are trying to prepare on a substantial level. They're stocking food. uh, They're stocking essential things. Uh, Some are planning like uh, uh, some some are elaborating on some plan B where to move uh, in case of invasion. But uh, there are people who have no choice, who have no place to go. And uh, I talked to one man who has three kids, and he's a Kiev resident. And he's it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I also have three no, kids. No, another man. <laughs> he's a Kiev resident, and uh, he said, "Well, I'm worried, of course, but I have nowhere to go in case of invasion. Like uh, I have no plan, and and you don't know what to respond to these people. You know." Um, 
I mean, I think majority of people just don't have any plan because I mean, some of them are saying this is my land I will stay. Some of them are really have no place, and why should we have any place to go? Right? Yeah. I think uh, that's also true that many people have this very rebel rebellious mood they are not ready to leave their land and Ukrainians I think have the increased uh, sense of um ownership on this land and in the face of Russian invasion they are rather they would rather die I don't know or than leave their place According to sociological uh, some um studies half of Ukrainians are ready to resist Russian invasion and at least third of them is ready to do do that with arms third of Ukrainian population is 15 million people uh not not necessarily that everybody who says this will do that but at least we see the decisiveness every third Ukrainian is saying that he or she is ready to resist with arms what do you think when you when you see this figure Well, it gives me a lot of confidence and uh it helps me to calm down when I start to panic reading news. Um I think that's a, a direct consequence of uh, Russian aggression uh, and that's what I've said before that uh, Russia mobilizes Ukrainians a lot. We wouldn't have this uh maybe even maybe even at the start of uh, of war in 2014, but now as russia is pushing more is trying to um to escalate more and to oppress ukraine uh people are getting uh angry <laughs> and furious and they are ready to to resist with weapons and it's interesting that um we have territorial defense units now but also uh you can you can see uh, on the outskirts of kiev uh there are veterans training civilians uh in informal way and um quite a lot of civilians subscribe to that and they are ready to to uh, t- to learn any kind of um any kind of resistance and any kind of um um confrontation how to confront Russia in in uh, case of invasion that's my ne- next question how are ukrainians getting prepared for a pos- possible invasion what do you see what what uh what are your observations Well, as I have said, some people are stocking uh essential things, uh, stocking food um and planning evacuation uh in case of a real full-scale war, even though most of them think it's unlikely. Um but some are just trying to live their normal life and I think uh, that maybe it sounds infantile and naive to to western journalists who are surprised when they are coming here that uh, nothing is really happening and people don't panic but i think that's the only way we should continue living uh, we should live as normal we we can't be all scared and hide uh, in bunkers right we should be resilient and uh, show that we are ready to resist uh, in any situation Yeah indeed it's it's for for everybody even if even if you rationally think well invasion is possible here the troops but emotionally psychologically you you just don't want to believe in that and according to another sociology uh, if you ask Ukrainians uh, do you expect war anytime soon it's 50-50 and the closer you go to the front line in south and the east the lesser number of people who are expecting <laughs> invasion in 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 them 
in the near future. So maybe they know something we don't know. But also on the state level, uh, we should say that the efforts to prepare for any kind of invasion are not enough. And um, people are responding to that. So again, the whole situation kind of motivated people to check check the shelters, uh, the condition of shelters, the amount of shelters, um, motivated them to check if they're ready for an instant um, threat, an instant uh, evacuation. Uh, these are maybe good things because you never know what happens and you have to be, uh, to be ready. But I wish, uh, as you said about people from the East, I wish the same effect applied to people in the East because they are more um, relaxed in terms of, um, in terms of their fears uh, of invasion. Right, so we'll see what will happen, but what we, what, what we can say is that indeed the war which started in 2014 really consolidated Ukrainian society. And as you brilliantly said, that the war makes some of them worse than they were, but many, many people better than they were, or reveals the best signs of, of people and, and this empathy and willingness to help, etc. Thank you so much, Irina, Irina Matvichin, reporter at ukraineworld.org. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org, uh, and I was joined by my colleague, reporter and journalist Irina Matvichin. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com uh, slash ukraineworld. The series of reports by Irina, you can find them, uh, stories from Ukraine, you can find them in the description of this episode. Follow Ukraine World on Facebook and Twitter and stay with us. Thank you, Volodymyr. <laughs>